Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Price of Football podcast, the podcast that follows the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, who uh, is currently self-distancing from football finance expert Kieran Maguire over there. Although, to be fair, Kieran, considering the respective clubs we support, we've done a little bit of that. We have indeed. Yeah, and we were doing it in the Premier League, so I'm, <laughs> I'll be really cross if that ends, when you've deliberately self-distanced yourself downwards away from Palace, but there you go. Now, um, our producer, Hello Guy, has decided he wants in on this whole disaster capitalism thing. He sees some money in it. So um, uh, this show is about the coronavirus and the financial implications for football. Now, some of you may think this is not the biggest priority at a time of crisis, but, you know, it's like the arts. It will have potentially a huge knock-on effect for many people and I think a genuine impact on the physical and mental well-being of football fans all over the country, so it's worth talking about. So, Kieran, before... uh, Let's face it, mine is kind of mindless pub opinion. Yours is pretty much fact-based. So before we get into that dynamic, let's just recap where we are at the moment. It's now it's Sunday the 15th of March. Um, it's just gone 1.15. Uh, we're in South London, which is good, except for the fact I should be in Prague. Uh, literally 35 minutes after I collected my money, the travel ban was lifted. And then the very next day, I lost 70 quid on the deal, even though I've been with NatWest for all those years. That, that is disaster capitalism. It, it is proper disaster capitalism. Isn't NatWest, the lovely friendly man on the phones. We've got a personal account because I'm such a walking disaster area. It's best. <laughs> my, my accountant says, have a personal account, pay the extra money. So I've had a really good relationship with my bank manager. He said, no, no, of course, special rate, blah, 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 which didn't apply when they, when they bought the money back off me. It's terrible, <laughs> isn't it? Um, so it's, it's 15th of March. So the, the Premier League and the EFL suspended until the 3rd of April, although I think we all think that will... Uh, be extended. Uh, non-league football still going ahead because obviously you know, 5,000 people can still go and see Notts County but 2,000 people can't go and see Macclesfield so there's there's the, all the logic in the world there. Uh, the Scottish leagues are suspended indefinitely. Most European leagues have stopped and look like they will stay stopped. Champions League and the Europa League uh, are on hold. UEFA are meeting on Tuesday to discuss the future of those and uh, the Euros as well. Um, Domestic matters first, Kieran, and I know you had a remarkably busy day on Friday because you stood me up. I'm very sorry about <laughs> that. We, we. Just, to, <laughs> just to put the icing on a really bad day, instead of going to Prague, my wife said, come to Eastbourne and see my play, and, uh, which you were going to. I, I bought tickets. I know you had. So I was uh, instead of being in Prague with 16 old, old mates, I was going to be in Eastbourne with you and the Baroness, which would have been lovely. <laughs> but then you blew me out because you were so busy media. Now, one thing I'd like to... to clear up Kieran before we get on to the financial issues I'm still not entirely sure of the reasons why the PL and the EFL made what basically a decision that came out of nowhere so I think we all assume they'd wait for government advice but they still haven't elaborated on whether this is because they want to help stop the spread whether it's because of reducing pressure on the emergency services or whether they're concerned about the safety and well-being of their own players and assets. I think there's an element of all three of those. If you remember, uh, Mikhail Arteta, uh, he was diagnosed with the coronavirus. So that immediately meant that the Brighton versus Arsenal match was off. Then Callum Hudson-Odoi, he he was diagnosed with the condition. Um, And there were reports of players self-isolating from other clubs in the Premier League as well. Yeah, Arthur Boruch is one at Bournemouth, I think. Yeah. Yep. And I think under those circumstances, we could have been left with a situation where uh, players were showing early symptoms of the of the disease, uh, but they would have been undiagnosed at that point in time. So therefore, the integrity of the matches taking place over this weekend mm. would have been called into question because clearly that would have had an impact upon their physical well-being um, in, in terms of their ability to perform for matches this weekend. As a consequence, I think the the Premier League made made a holding decision, but they made the right decision. Um, I think they would also have been concerned about the, the welfare of their staff. If you've got fifty, sixty, seventy thousand people turning up to a match in a confined space, if if you are a steward, you you have no choice but to get up close and personal to some people, especially when they're acting like clowns. Um, and, and therefore, um, I, I've got to give some the Premier League some credit here. They they did the right thing for the right reasons. It's, it's strange though. You could, you, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I still thought it was, I'd say hasty. I assumed that they would wait for government advice 
just as a way of mitigating legal problems down the line. But you know, I know people who are at Cheltenham races on on Friday for the Gold Cup, having a good time, surrounded by seventy five thousand people in a bigger environment, and yet couldn't go to a football game on on Saturday. That that's, that dichotomy seemed a bit odd. It, it, it's a constantly evolving yeah. scenario that the government advice on Thursday turned into different advice on Friday. And I think by the time we get uh, a few days in, into this week, uh, yeah, all, all large public events are likely to be cancelled. Uh, the, the, the Premier League took the initiative, as did the EFL uh, and, and the SPFL, uh, in terms of, of making that decision just because they don't want to be responsible. As, as Jurgen Klopp, who, who I think has actually become a de facto president of the country, with some of the comments he's he said if if cancelling a football match means that one less person dies as a result of this then that is the right decision to make mm. um let's get on to the cost of this to to clubs at all levels i know shrewsbury's chairman was very anxious on friday he reckoned three missing games would be enough to tip the finances of a lot of clubs in in Leagues one and two. Um, lee burrows on twitter is just one of many people who's asked whether we can expect the EFL and the PL to help clubs with cash flow problems. Now, you assume the Premier League would be slightly more insulated than, than clubs in League One or Two? Yes. Um, I've, t- I've taken a look at the finances of all 92 clubs. Um, over Every the... cloud has a silver lining, isn't <laughs> for, it? For me, yes. <laughs> Spre- spreadsheet <laughs> heaven, as an you unexpected, can imagine. An unexpected <laughs> chance for you. Everybody else is thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen to Granny? And you're thinking, wow, I can look at all 92 League clubs from a different angle. So, 91 um, league clubs are big, sorry Berry fans. Um, and, and also, I, I think we, we now know what it's like to be a Berry fan because we're thinking, well, when, when's my club next going to play a football game, if at all? Um, and it, 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 that, that feeling of loss, which is genuine, uh, I think is now more universal. And those people who had no sympathy for Berry are probably now thinking twice as to, well, if one goes, who cares? Well, this is interesting. Again, this, I, th- I think we'll get sidetracked quite a lot on this, this pod. But again, that's one of the reasons I'm surprised they made this decision so quickly because knowing football fans as we do, the goodwill will wear, will wear off quite quickly. I thought they'd take another, another couple of weeks and then people might go, OK, we'll, we'll find the season's over. It's a long time to ask people to go without football. It's a long time to ask the broadcasters to not show any football. And I, I, I suspect people will be getting impatient. I don't know how that impatience will manifest itself, but I suspect the impatience will manifest itself quite quickly. Yes, I think we've already seen a reaction in respect of the, the, the lack of live TV this weekend yeah. and, and what it's being replaced with. Um, sponsors, broadcasters, and and fans. You know, we're all we're all committed to the game in, in various forms, um, and it, it is going it's going to be a long period without without the game. Um, and how we're going to cope is uh, is is going to uh, prove things something to do with how good we are as a nation. Well, so far, not very, basically. Uh, the, my new favourite swear word is stockpiler. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be calling, if I'm annoyed by anybody in future, I'll be calling them a stockpiler because I don't, let's, it's not that sort of pod. Yeah. Well, I, again, there's another, somebody asked me yesterday, quite a few of my friends, I was still in Eastbourne, living the dream, but quite a few of the people that were going to Prague, we went to Tulloch Hamlet instead. It was quite a big crowd at Dulwich Hamlet. Mm-hmm. What happens if National League teams start getting a thousand more people a week? Do they then have to stop the National League? Because in one sense, there are National League fans going, "Well, this could be actually this could work out for us in terms of our income." But then, if they if too many people are replacing League One, League Two Championship football by going to Dulwich Hamlet or Halifax, then they'll end up getting closed. I think uh, the National League's in a slightly different position financially because it gets effectively zero broadcast income and the sponsorship money is is tiny. So therefore, it is very, very reliant upon match day. Uh, it, it was a silver lining for those clouds yesterday. But I, I was looking at the, the website of Chesterfield, who, who have dropped down clearly from a couple of seasons ago from the, the EFL. And, and they came out with a very strong statement that they felt it was inappropriate to be playing matches this weekend because of they have they have a duty of care uh, to their employees who could, as a result of the match, the match yesterday, um, could have been uh, exposed to the virus. Interesting. Right, let's, let's get back to the cost of clubs then. Um, I, I think we'll leave the Premier League to a last in this because, you know, it's, it, other clubs like Shrewsbury. Are there, have you identified any clubs that are more at risk than, than others or is this an across-the-board general risk? 
football in, clubs. In terms of the EFL, yes, certainly the the clubs in League One and League Two, um, they are living from match to match. Mm. Um, they they get if if you're looking at sort of the the, the clubs which are getting the cr- the crowds of two three four thousand, they're probably getting fifty grand a match um, from a home fixture, um, and. They, they've got bills to pay. So what have we seen recently? Well, Macclesfield Town failed to pay their wages in February. Southend United failed mm. to pay their wages in February. Both are now up uh, before the EFL on charges. But if they couldn't pay the wages when money was coming in mm. through the gate, then clearly they're not going to be in a position to be able to, to pay the wages and other suppliers um, in, in March, April, May and so on. Uh, they are not alone. If, if you talk to club owners, remember that two-thirds of clubs in the EFL are losing money anyway. Mm. Um, and that's on the basis of selling tickets. Uh, but it's not just the ticket money that these clubs are generating. It's the fact that they are selling catering, they are selling programmes and things of that nature. And when the when the club is is not playing the home games, then it's trying to hire out, if at all possible, the, the, the club's facilities to hospitalities for weddings for things of this nature and all of that's going to stop uh, you know e- either people are going to cancel the bookings or the club's probably going to have to turn around to them yes. and, and yeah. say you know, under either government edict or the advice we've had from the EFL we're not in a position to be able to offer you um, offer, offer you those hospitality or catering services um, it could be that our staff, are, you know, our staff are at risk, or they've already contracted corona, and, and therefore everybody's on effectively on a self-isolating lockdown. Or you could take sensible precautions and and make sure you're clean and hygienic, and if you haven't got symptoms, go to work as normal and keep a, apart from each other and try and carry on life as much as possible. Yes, I, I think all, all employers will be will be taking that stake. Mm. The problem is if if you are. Um, an organisation such as a football club, it could be that you have taken that, those precautions, but then you've got 50 or 60 people it, it, turning it, up, one of whom might be feeling not 100%, yeah. but they feel that they ought to attend. Um, and very, very quickly, I think that we, we're, we are in completely unknown territory as to how close, how quickly this particular virus spreads between people. And, and until that has been finalised, um, I think people are taking a very cautious approach. Uh, you know, I, I, as you know, I, I work at university. Yeah. Um, we, we got a, a, an email yesterday, no more teaching face-to-face. Um, we don't think exams are going to be taking place in a right. traditional method. So we've got to work out alternative forms of assessment. And that's that's a precautionary approach. In France, all all theatres, all cafes, mm. uh, and and huge swathes of the economy, which which contribute far more significantly than the football industry, are going to be significantly disturbed financially. Mm. You say there are a lot of unknowns. You haven't spoken to blokes in pubs. Ah, they they, they, they don't seem to be many unknowns amongst the blokes in pubs. I know. Back to Lee Burrow's question. Then talking about whether the EFL will help with cash flow. It strikes me from what you said about Southend, Macclesfield, for example, that the EFL would be reluctant to give them the same help that they would for other clubs. I and mean, if you've got clubs that are, that are financially struggling because of their own mismanagement, incompetence, bad luck, whatever it is, it'd be difficult for the EFL to say, right, you can have the same level of help as everybody else. Would it? Or, or will it have to be a blanket I, well, solution if there is such a thing in this case? I, I think we've we've got to look at who is in a physical position to offer help. Looking at the EFL's financial, balance financial, financial help, help yeah. yes. Um, the EFL simply doesn't have the cash to do so. Oh, so so, oh. so let's, let, let's, just, let's just park that idea. Oh, okay. Then I think we, we need to look at all of the, the football authorities and, and all of the, the major players. Um, the EFL doesn't have the money. The Football Association... In their last set of accounts, they had over forty million pounds. Now, I've done. We've spoken about that on previous pods as it, well because there was some confusion about that. Yes, yes, yes. But it, it does it does have significant Fun, amounts yeah. of cash. What realistically are we looking at? If you're a League One or League Two club, you've got six home games remaining. Let's say that they need, on average, fifty grand each to to pay outstanding Race. costs. Yeah. So. Which would include wages. Which include wages. So therefore, it's 300 grand per club. You multiply that by the 47 clubs. We're talking around about 15 million pounds. EFL doesn't have it. So they're not in a position to do so. 
Where else could we look? Well, the FA does have money. The FA will say, well, our responsibilities are towards the England team and grassroots football. The FA is now looking at significant losses um, if uh, Euro 2020 doesn't take place because, uh, in theory, everybody's going to get a refund and there's going to be issues in terms of um, the, the relationship the FA has with the European broadcasters for uh, Euro 2020 games. So I, I think the FA is in a, is in a relatively precarious position. Do you think, Sorry to interrupt you there, but it's... It might not be a place to crowbar this in later on, but do you think they might be helped by the fact that the Japanese authorities have said the Olympics will go ahead, come what may? Well, I, mean, I think the, Jap- that, the, Jap- that- the Japanese authorities are saying that today. Uh, you know, will they be saying that in a week's time? Right. At present, the Euro 2020s is on. Uh, you know, the nature of the tournament that it's being spread over eight cities across Europe, uh, I, I think it will be it will be madness on, on the basis of if the um, if, if the disease is going to peak in ten to fourteen weeks here in the UK, that that rules it out. Remember, there's, ser- there's a significant number of group games taking place in. Uh, London, Glasgow mm. and Dublin and then we've got both semi-finals and the final taking place at Wembley as well so I, I can't see it happening Well again this is a problem and it's another segue because you say it's going to peak in 10 weeks other people are equally convinced it's going to peak in the middle of April and in the absence of any explanation from our government or our government side it's, it's the one thing that we're not getting is our government say well this is why we're not closing schools this is why we will be closing theatres so the F, it's very difficult for the FA to to, to act when they have the same scientific facts that we do, i.e. virtually none. Well, yeah, we're, we're, we're living in a vacuum. And, and the trouble is, in modern society, we've got the internet and the internet fills that vacuum <laughs> Doesn't it just? with, with yeah, in, yeah. incredible nonsense. I mean, that 10 to 14 week figure came from listening to chief medical officers yesterday. Yeah. But, but that clearly could change yeah. on a daily basis. So we've, we've established that I think the FA would struggle. The EFL is not in a position. Some clubs will have some form of insurance that, that in respect my, that, of this. That's the, the, probably the most asked question after the cash flow one. Right. Is how insurance works with this. Will insurance companies pay out? Well, if, if the club has specific insurance for events of this nature, then that, then that there will be paid out. Are the, there specific insurance for it? Global, the, the, there, global? there are. Well, not global pandemic, but but, but emergency uh, emergency type you know, unexplained events insurance does take place. Well, obviously that's what insurance is for. But there are you know again this is a phrase I hadn't heard until coronavirus force majeure. Yeah, which I'm hearing a lot in my industry because TV shows are being cancelled, tours are being cancelled. It seems to me they've got a perfectly reasonable get-out clause if they're going to claim more precautions could have been made to prevent this. Yes, and clearly the insurance companies and the football clubs and their advisors, everybody's going to be looking at the small print. Force majeure is unexplained event which prevents an, an, a, a contract being fulfilled. Mm. Um, I was looking at an article from... Uh, I would say the, the country's leading sports lawyer, a guy called Nick DeMarco, he published something on Friday... And that seemed to suggest there there is as, as more questions and answers with regards to this, and it's going to vary from insurance policy to insurance policy to, to case by case. My concern is, however, those clubs that probably need the financial support the most are the ones who are least likely to be able to afford an insurance claim, an insurance policy in the first place, and they'll have probably taken the view we we, we can't we, we don't have the money to do it. Keep your fingers crossed. Well, also, presumably, most clubs, you'd be looking at a one-off postponement. Uh, you know, you're looking at a, a, a car, a, a lorry crashing into the stadium. or a, You're not looking, most people, you wouldn't foresee this, would they? Football clubs, you'd be hard-pressed to criticise a club administrator for not foreseeing a global pandemic and insuring against it, wouldn't you? Absolutely. And so the, the one league we haven't mentioned so far, and this is, is the Premier League. Right, so uh, the Premier League... In the Premier League's balance sheet, in the most recent set of accounts, which was June or July 2019, it had over £1.5 billion of cash. So your first reaction is, well, the Premier League's rich, um, therefore, could it lend a helping hand to smaller clubs? Um, That £1.5 million, I suspect, has been now distributed to the Premier League clubs through to fund their wage bill to fund their transfer markets and things of that nature so whether it has very much cash at present i'm uncertain 
Again, you then look to the individual clubs in the Premier League, and what we're seeing is very much a mixed bag. Together, the Premier League, based on their most recent accounts, had over a billion pounds of cash, but that was at the end of June, um, and that's going to be because people pay their season tickets in advance. Sky pay their money in advance. The sponsors, they, they, they put down big deposits because what they want to be able to say to the clubs, you're about to go into the transfer market, Here's, here's some cash to go and play with. Mm. So do individual clubs have, have money to do that? I'm, I'm uncertain. It was noticeable, however, that if you take a look at Manchester United, um, as you may, may be aware, their shares are quoted in New York um, and their share price has absolutely tanked um, over the course of the week. And United... Um, sub- Purely because of... Of, of Corona, right. yeah, because okay. yeah, on the pitch they, you know, they, they were yeah. an upturn, um, and you know the, the market normally would say, well, now you've got you know, two or three times the chance of qualifying for the Champions League, so therefore we'd normally yeah. factor that in from a positive perspective. But they've taken absolute hammering this week because they're in the entertainment industry, and clearly that's one of the one of the industries yeah, yeah. which is going to look the most vulnerable mm-hmm. um, on sort of for the rest of this year. Thanks, um, thanks for that, Kieran. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, I, I don't, the last thing I want to do is to be, for want of a better word, tabloid about this because one of the very many things about this whole thing that I, you know, when Sky or the, or the tabloids, you know, cases don't rise, they soar. You know, everything is exaggerated, everything's hyperbole, everything's designed to scare already scared people, as far as I'm concerned. But there will be Berry fans going, well, hang on a second, if if the EFL do bail clubs out, if the Premier League do bail clubs out, a why couldn't they do that for us? But b is your instinct that if this does last, if the season is voided, we'll come on to what could happen, is your instinct that other clubs may join Berry because of it? Unless they are given some form of financial support, clubs will go out of business. So this is where I think the Premier League, even if it gave, say, 300 grand to each of the League One and League Two clubs as as an it's an interest free loan, or yeah, you know, say well, you can repay us over over five years. We were talking in a recent podcast about the 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 clubs being able to give Richard Scudamore a five million pound uh, yes. uh, golden goodbye, uh, and the rationale behind that. Well, I'm saying for three times that amount of money, we can preserve the integrity of the pyramid system. Yeah, it's something which you and I have grown up with. You know, we, yeah, we we could be able to used to be able to quote when we were kids. I'm sure which clubs were in which divisions and how many oh, matches always, and so on. Yeah. Um, and and then managers and their kit and their badge yeah, yeah. yep and, and and that is really important to english football my my concern is that with many elite clubs now being owned by foreign owners who are, who are not familiar with english culture and this is this isn't a uh, an anti an anti foreign owner uh, issue. It's simply they've they've grown up with with a different system. Well, also many club owners like Leicester's, for example, who are foreign but fully understood the nature of English football as well. So, yep. some some do, some don't. Some, some not, do, some yeah. don't. But you know, they might be saying, well, does 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 it really matter if if Morecambe or Macclesfield or Southend go bust? But then I think you've got to look to see, uh, you know, you think about our respective clubs. Where did Glenn Murray came from, come from? Yeah, you know, yeah. Started off at Workington Reds, yes, then yeah, Carlisle, yeah. then Rochdale, then us, then you. And, yeah. and his career progressed. Harry Kane spent some of his time on loan at Leighton Orient. Dele, uh, Dele Jamie Alley, Vardy, yeah. he was signed for Fleetwood, Fleetwood, Fleetwood yeah. Town. And played for Halifax, yeah. Delhi Alley was at MK Dons. And... Exactly. Yeah. Um, and to, if, to throw if, that away, I think would be... Would be bad, bad for individual clubs, yeah. bad for individual towns, but actually bad for the Premier League as well. And I think there are enough PR gurus to explain that to people, hopefully. But it would mean the EFL. We've learnt from this pod that would mean the EFL relaxing their own rules, though, wouldn't it? Because Everton, Bill Kenwright tried to help Berry out and was blocked from doing so by EFL rules. So the EFL would, and presumably they would happily do so, but that would mean a rule change by the EFL, wouldn't it? Yes, but remember the EFL ultimately is a members club, right. and if the members vote for that change, yeah. then then I can't see an issue. So those are the, the football authorities that could help. 
then we say, well, what about government help in terms of either central or local government? I suspect that many, many football clubs will be struggling to pay their, their monthly rates bill. So it's not going to come from local government. We, we know that individual councils simply don't have the resources to be able to offer people a potential holiday. Now, I have been looking at some of the changes introduced in the budget um, by the Chancellor on Wednesday, one of which is for small businesses, and I think many EFL clubs might constitute this under the way that they've been defined, um, to to give them some form of assistance in terms of paying their PAYE and NI. The last thing that the government needs, and and this, this extends, of course, to all industries, is for individual companies individual businesses who are on the, the you know on on the absolute cusp of of survival or or failure to to go out of business as a result of tax issues so i think there is there's a little bit of help there is is the government going to help the football industry no you know, as, as a specific industry, because then quite rightly, the hotel industry, the, the, arts, the, the restaurant, arts, the arts. Yeah, of course, the, of course. You know, so it's, yeah. it's, it's not going to make football a special case uh, just because we happen to love football. I happen to love the arts as well. So I would like to think both would be special yeah. cases. But yeah. you're absolutely right. They could, you know, I'm sure this government has its priorities. And I doubt if they will tell us those. But yeah, these, their priorities will be the people that are most likely to vote for them at the next election would be... Uh, I don't think our government are necessarily uh, motivated by the same spirit of goodwill that other European governments are, but this is not for that part. Um, of course, it's not only the impact on, on football clubs, it's the impact on the local economy as well. It's the impact on the people who print the programmes, it's the impact on the people in the gig economy who are working in catering and stewards. And so, so a lot of other people are, are, are primed to lose money because of this, aren't they? Now, it, in my view, as a Palace fan, I would like to think that Palace would take notice of that and would help out those people that were affected. But if it was a business, so there's no legal requirement for them to do so. You'd like to think there was a moral duty, but how will it affect local economies of football club? Well, if if you talk to to publicans who who operate near football grounds, they're they're their 20 biggest days of the year is when the local clubs at home um yeah, well, you know it, it's it's tough going in that business um I, I just stop you there to, for, by way of an advert that we we've thought of that already because uh, the pub we go to is tiny and empty during the week so we're going to try and turn up on mass on saturday anyway so there was a game because you know if if one terrible knock-on effect of this was that that pub went I would be be heartbroken but that could be replicated all over the country couldn't it so yes and and, uh, I saw some Tranmere fans yesterday doing something similar in respect of their football club before we come to the issue of refunds we've got fans which we we will do we will yeah Um, before we come to that particular issue ultimately the most important thing to a football fan is the idea of they want their club to be there in 12 months time in three years time in 10 years time so they can take their kids and their grandkids to the match what some fans are doing well they're saying my finances are sort of okay at present i'm going to buy my season ticket now for next season because cash flow is critical forget profit forget revenue there's a saying in business that uh, revenue is vanity uh, Profit is reality, um, but cash flow is the most important thing. That explains your tattoo. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> say that again. So w- what's vanity? Because uh, obviously I was trying to think of something funny to say at the end of that serious re- sentence. Re- re- revenue is vanity. Profit is sanity. Cash flow is reality. Yes. Oh, well, I know all about cash flow. Well, let's... And I'm aware, by the way, people listening to this, that yes, it could be considered irresponsible for a load of people to go to a, a pub for no reason on Saturday, but if none of us are showing any symptoms... Uh, exactly. And, and, if, and, and if we are, we will self-isolate. Otherwise... Yeah. Sup- support support your local businesses well, this is again, in, all, in all shapes and forms. This is something I really want to get across. It's, it's really important that, where possible, we do support local businesses and the local economy because all of us staying indoors, except for occasionally venturing out to panic by toilet roll and jam isn't going to do any good at all, is it? So I think it's really important that we go to the pub as long as we all feel we're fit and healthy to do so. Well, let's talk about the cost to fans then because, as you say, this is the time of year when we would be looking to renew season tickets, but would we also be expecting, were the season to end now? I know you read the small print of season tickets. I haven't done that. First thing I do, get a season ticket, put it in my card, throw everything away. Two weeks later, I wonder where the fixture list is. Find that. Of course, I don't read the letter. Nobody does, but... 
Um, in terms of refunds, you know, if, if you're a football fan with three, four, five games still to come on your season ticket, are you looking to get a proportional refund of that? Um, you, you've signed up for a contract for the club to deliver. To know then, isn't it? <laughs> to, to deliver the matches. Yeah. Um, but there's, I think there's, there's a won't pay and there's a can't pay issue here. Um, it, it could be that the club has a legal obligation to repay you because it's failed to fulfil its side of the deal. You know, it, it's, it was supposed to provide you with a minimum of X number of football games yeah. and it's failed to do so. But if the club itself has no regular income coming in, then it doesn't have the physical cash. It goes back to this issue of cash flow. The last thing that football clubs need at a time when they can't pay their staff, a time when they, they can't pay their regular suppliers, is for some RC football fan to turn around and say, well, I've, you've, I've, you've cost me four home matches this season where I was going to come along and slag you all off. I now want my money back. If you want to do that, then... Well, sodgy, really. I've, I've got no sympathy for fans under those conditions. You support your club because you love your club through thick and thin. It needs help at present. Yeah, yeah. by all means, be pissed off um, that you're not going to get to see uh, see all the matches. But uh, the present condition is that matches are being postponed. Oh, yeah. I think I think as well, most football fans, I think, will make allowances for that. I'm genuinely... Yeah. And I'm basing that on football fans that I know and I've, I've met a lot of them. And I think most football fans are sensible enough to go... I think the club will, when things are back to normal, the club will find some way of recompensing us. We'll either get four games free or whatever. But, and I think clubs will want to do that along the line anyway. But the trouble is, especially at the higher level, is that so many season tickets are corporate season tickets now. So if you've got, at the Emirates or the Etihad, blocks of tickets that are owned by accountants, lawyers, they probably are going to be arsy about it, aren't they, and want refunds? Yes, I think that, that certainly the the, uh, the corporate sector, the Prawn Sandwich Brigade, however you want to refer to them, they will take a more forensic approach to this. They will say, well, you've simply breached your contract and we will take action. Um, there's, that could also be the case in terms of sponsors, although I do think that to a certain degree is a double-edged sword because you know, if, if the sponsor does take legal action against the club, I think the backlash in terms of goodwill against that sponsor. Yeah, yeah if if you destroyed my football club, well, yeah. all football fans are going to say, yeah. we ain't buying your products. Yeah, um, the prawn cocktail brigade reminds me that I, there's one question I didn't ask you, which I should have done off the back of talking about EFL clubs and your fears that some of them will go bust. I'm presuming that no Premier League club is at risk from anything other than a much much longer postponement. Would I be right? Am, am I optimistic in thinking that they're more in you? <laughs> I, I I think they are okay in the short term. Um, you know, one one of the things we have discovered over the past few months is that this this uh, this gold at the end of the rainbow doesn't actually exist in the Premier League. Total losses I estimate to be around about three hundred million pounds. Southampton announced their results last week. They lost thirty five million quid in a year. Now, unless you've got owners, and, and most Premier League clubs do have owners who are in a position to cover those losses. Um, we, I think we underestimate just how um, significant the, the this discretionary money can be. Spurs get eight hundred grand a month. Sorry, eight hundred grand a match from catering, for example. Mm. Mm. Um, it only takes three or four of those to go missing, yeah. and, and you've, got, you've got a problem. I think one of the things which might save the uh, the Premier League clubs to a certain extent is that almost every club in terms of its wage structure heavily incentivizes players wages so therefore they get appearance bonuses they get clean sheet bonuses goal bonuses at the end of the season they get bonuses based on the position of the table well those bonuses can't be paid out so therefore players are dropping back onto a basic wage now not a basic uh, wage yeah, as we yeah, understand yeah, it yeah, yeah. but they but not so that will help the the premier league clubs i think they're in a better position we are seeing going back to your your question earlier in respect of well what about the support staff the people who are on uh, you know the gig economy contracts do the Premier Leagues have an obligation to pay them? No, they don't. And I'm not saying this is because it's from my club. Brighton on Friday said, we will pay all of our match day staff their money, regardless of whether the other matches take place or not, Good. because it's the right thing to do. Good. I'm hoping that other clubs will follow, action, follow that 
course of action. Um, and that will, again, help to be part of the goodwill. Manchester United, who were criticised earlier, they gave £350 to everybody that had bought a ticket for their match in Austria that was called off on Thursday. Mm. They didn't have to do that. Yeah, they yeah. did it because it's the right thing to do. I think this is an opportunity for the football industry, especially the Premier League, which comes in for a lot of stick, to say, actually, we're not the, the pantomime villains that you, you think we are. Uh, we saw Aston Villa and Newcastle um, and some other clubs uh, yesterday. All the food that was uh, allocated, yes, yes, yes. that went to the local yep. homeless shelters and things of this nature. Let, let's show that actually football is a shining example of what's good in this society. Well, I've said this before, but any of us who are involved in foundations at football clubs are aware of some of the surprisingly joined up thinking that does go on in the Premier League and in the EFL when it comes to community issues. And, and again, there's another fear that most of the foundations are self-financing. But again, you know, the longer this goes on, the more difficult it's going to be for those. But the Premier League does do some wonderful community work. And I think you're right. This isn't, if anything good can come out of this, it will be a, a, a way of highlighting that. Yes. And, and, and actually saying, well, as, as you say, look, yeah, we made these decisions early for the for the good of, People, we think we're aware of the economic impacts. We will do our best to mitigate it, and then, yeah, we'll keep looking at. It. But let's have a look at the options for the for the season. Um, I, I know this chap, Mr. Cadbury's parrot, and such a serious pod. I'm almost reluctant <laughs> to ask Mr. Cadbury's parrot's question, but it's a good question. My my opinion, for what it's worth, and again, this is classic pub opinion, prefaced by words that I can't stand. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a broadcaster, but. Not well, you are a broadcaster. Well, oh, yeah, I am. Oh, yeah, I thought that. I am. I, oh, yeah, I'm not a scientist. Maybe I'm a scientist as well. Um, I'm, I'm fairly convinced that it, of all the options that are discussed, I think the season will finish, but behind closed doors. I think, I think the broadcasters have got an enormous amount of influence in this. I think they will want to show something. And I think in terms of preventing legal action, which you know, avoiding the season now and saying Liverpool don't win the title, nobody comes up, nobody goes down... As a friend of mine who's a football lawyer said, that's 10 years worth of legal problems there. Ending the season now and saying, right, the, the three clubs in the bottom three are going down, come what may, again, 10 years. So I think the behind the closed doors one is the one, the least worst. But Mr. Cabbage Parrot question is, are there anything in league rules that cover something as as dramatic as this? I'll, no, there aren't. That's the, I, I think, and why would there be, presumably? Yeah. Is, is, yeah. Um, Let's consider all the options. Option A is that we do resume football in three weeks' time and the matches uh, take place in front of in front of crowds. Which is still an option at the moment. It is still an option yeah, until, I th- first, I think until Thursday when the meeting of the Premier League takes yes. place. And- um, that would be best in terms of clubs' cash flow. That will be best in terms of the... The, the the physical and mental well-being yeah. that football brings yes. to communities, which I think is underplayed. And to, and to millions of people who watch it as well, yeah. not, not just the local community, but yes. Um, so, so that's option number one. I think that's unlikely. Yeah. Option number two, again, the matches are played this time behind closed doors. Um, it, it, it would be surreal. I think that would be the, the best option in terms of mitigating potential legal action because then in terms of sporting integrity, the Premier League is based yeah. on 38 games and the EFL games are based on 46. Whether that is feasible... Um, it's, I think it's because you will still need staff. You will yes, still, still need stewards. You will still, still need people to still need the ball boys. You will still need the management it, staff. But easier, to, easier to do the social distancing thing and more manageable with numbers, etc. That's right. Less pressure on emergency services. And it, I, for me, that seems to be the only logical conclusion. But we've seen in the past from the EFL and the Premier League that logic. Well, does, but, but that's, I think that's good from uh, a sporting integrity. From a cash flow point of view, it's a disaster. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, the, the clubs will be saying, well, we've got costs being incurred in putting on the matches. We're not getting any revenue. You know, could perhaps Sky, who have got a five-year contract with the EFL, this is a chance for Sky, who come in for a lot of stick, you know, because yeah. they're not giving refunds to Sky Sports subscribers. Could Sky say, well actually, we're going to give you an advance of next year's money if you go and play the games behind closed doors because that will allow us to broadcast them. It would allow our advertisers to get their products in at halftime. People are still going to watch the matches. And it could be that you know, there's, there's a way of rewarding season ticket holders or people who have bought tickets because all clubs have databases these days um, 
the EFL have something called iFollow, uh, which does allow people to pick up individual matches. And what the EFL could therefore say is that everybody who's a season ticket, they can watch their club's home games on this thing called iFollow. The Premier League have the facilities to do something very, very similar to that. So, yeah, OK, I'm not going to the match. I'm not buying the pie. I'm not buying the programme. Not the, the clubs will be getting less money, but they are getting some benefits as well. well. From the broadcaster's point of view, I'd imagine the figures would be twice as high again as, as normal for the, for the circumstances. So yep. advertising revenue would probably increase greatly, I would have thought. Well, well potentially, because let's face it, we're not going outside of our houses to do other things. So actually, you know, it would give an opportunity for, for people to, to watch the matches at home um, who had perhaps been thinking of doing other things. So okay. there could be uh, a, a paradoxical benefit to advertisers from this. They won't be up in their rates. Yeah, you know, I'm pretty, pretty, pretty much yeah. sure of that. So that's those those are two options. So what are the non-football options then? Well, the, the non-football options are that we suspend the season as is today and promotion and relegation are based on what we've seen. From a sporting integrity point of view, it, it, it's a non-starter. Um, you know, People will point out to me as a Brighton fan, our next four home games, Manchester United, Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester City. You're gonna, you know, are you going to lose all four of those? Well, Karen, Karen Brady is the one who's very vocal about this, has the solution, but you know, to, to quote a, a different case, she would say that, wouldn't she? Yes, yeah. Um, so I, I don't think that would. I don't think that one would stand up. I think there yeah. there would be litigation from Bournemouth, Villa, and so on. Yeah. Um, is is there? And some... presumably the two clubs from the Championship that are not getting promoted, so yep. Leeds and West Brom. Uh, yeah, unless the... you do promote them and have a bigger league. Well, I, th- I think that's something which, which has been mooted over the last twenty four to forty eight hours. And effectively, what you do is that you retain all twenty clubs in the Premier League at present. And then Leeds and West Bromwich Albion are added to those two. So next season, we have a 22-team Premier League. And what will happen is that there'll be four teams relegated and the top two from the championship would get promoted. It's upsetting for those people in a playoff place. There's always going to be a loser, whatever decision was being made. But I think that would be the minimal, that would minimise the, the legal wranglings um, in terms of what's available. Well, it, it would, because the Premier League would have to agree with that, so it would be a Premier League vote. But I can almost guarantee the, the one time when four teams got relegated, Palace were the fourth team relegated by some considerable distance. So I can almost guarantee that we would be the fourth team relegated next season by some considerable distance. And there are people who say, well, that's not fair legally. So whoever gets, whoever, if that does happen, whoever's the fourth team relegated will be absolutely furious and they'll be looking at legal action. So it's, they, they will be, but this decision would have to be made yeah, by, by the Premier The Premier League yeah. is a members club. Yeah. All decisions require two thirds of the clubs to vote in favour. Now, if those clubs at the bottom of towards the bottom of the Premier League, and let's be honest, we both support clubs who who are quite yes. quite common features. Three weeks ago, I'd have agreed. You speak for yourself. <laughs> oh yeah, normally yeah, yeah, you're quite right. Talking other seasons, yeah. Um, if if those clubs say, well, hold on, yeah, you know, let, let's vote to retain the Premier League at twenty two clubs. What will happen is then you will get the the big six. They will turn around and says that is not in our best interest because we want an extended Champions League. Yeah. We will offer our resignation from right. the Premier League. And now you can have you twenty two clubs, but they're not going yeah. to involve United, Chelsea, Arsenal, City, Liverpool, and so on. So, which only goes to prove that whatever solution is taken isn't going to be the end of it, is it? There's there's ramifications for this for seasons ahead. Yeah, but if, if, there, if there was a simple solution, yeah. somebody would have identified it by now and it would have been made. Yeah, and, and what about the option where we don't avoid it, we stop the season now, we say, right, Liverpool have won the Premier League, the two teams are going down, so there'll be a lucky escape for Bournemouth, presumably two come up, no playoffs, tough if you're in the, in the top six. Well, um, who are the two teams at the bottom? You've got Norwich and Villa. Villa. Um, if, if I was the chief executive of Villa, I'd be putting in a legal claim to say, well, got we've, we've got hand. nine games left. We yeah. could have picked up 27 points. Yeah, they've got games in hand as well. Two games yeah. in hand on most teams, yeah. So, so it, it, there, is no, there is no simple solution to all of this. What, what about, the, we've had some questions about specifics. Um, uh, Aaron Waite, for example, has asked, how would a, a delay affect season-long loan deals? So would the season be considered finished now or would, would a player that you've got on loan, you know, if we, if we start again in August, how does that work? I, I think this is actually um, an elephant in the room that, which nobody's really mentioned to date. Oh, well done, Aaron. 
Or is that an implied criticism of me, though? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I think I think he's raised a very good point. Most football player contracts expire at the, the season end of the 30th of June. So, so they have a contract of employment which expires on the 30th of June. I, so I didn't know that. So that's that's considered the end of the season. That's the 30th right. Of June. That's quite a long um, time after the season's finished, isn't it, in terms of... It is. I mean, you can if a player is being, but you think about when the window starts. The win the window effectively yeah. starts on you know at the start of June. So, yeah, you know, that, that's or well, there's, there's a little bit of overlap, but not a lot. There's something else that's going to be affected. Whatever happens, the transfer window is going to have to go out the window, isn't it? Really? Yes, and I think those clubs that historically have been reliant upon the. Uh, the transfer market as a means of generating cash, they're going to be in a terrible position because nobody's going to go into the market uh, until we, we know for certain how the, the virus issue is going to be resolved. So you're not going to go in, in if, you're not, if you're thinking, well, I was going to get a centre-half in July, I would pay up to £50 million. If the season's not going to start until October or November, well, yes, there's no yes. way that you're going to do it. This is going to have to be a worldwide or at least a UEFA-based decision as to how the windows are going to operate, not just in not just in England, across the whole of Europe. Right. Because it could be that we come out of this relatively quickly, or it could be that Germany come out of the virus situation very, relatively quickly, yeah. but you've still got hotspots in Spain and Italy and so on. Um, so I think that's going to be a massive issue. My, my concern in respect of the integrity of fixtures, if they let, let's assume that Euro 2020 is going to be cancelled. I think that's a fair assumption. If the season overlaps into July and August, you will have players who are effectively unemployed from the 30th of June. Now, do they go back to their club that they played for last season or have they managed to get themselves a contract, especially in League One and League Two? You're only on a one or two year contract. It's a pretty precarious existence in those leagues. Your 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 first commitments towards put you know, paying the rent and, and looking after your family, um, if you are let's say that you're you're Carlisle and you're in the playoffs in, in League Two um, or something of that nature, what happens? At the thirtieth of June, do you carry on paying for your, for your previous club in July? Mm. Risk getting injured mm. when you've already been accepted an, an offer of a contract from Plymouth or somewhere else. Mm. So it, I think from we've got to think not just of the clubs, but we're talking about young men who have got their their financial futures yeah, ahead of them. Um, a lot of people have asked this. I think partly because you've scared the bejesus out of people about FFP since we started the pod. Um, Chris and Lou on Twitter, uh, two people, said that would a change in the year-end impact FFP because the longer season is going to incur extra wage costs. And Lou points out, you know, everyone is going to have higher losses, surely. So surely FFP will have to be given a breather, won't it? Or Presumably not for those clubs that are already in trouble, but... I, I, some leeway, surely, I, I think for the likes of Sheffield Wednesday, Derby, Macclesfield and Southend, who have had financial issues or have had charges levelled against them prior to the, 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 the rise of the virus here in the UK, I think those cases will continue. Although if I was the EFL, they wouldn't be the top of my inbox. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would expect an emergency general meeting of EFL owners to take place. And at that meeting, they will agree to suspend financial fair play considerations for 2019-20 because we are living in exceptional times and these are exceptional circumstances. So therefore, you cannot apply the standard rules. And then either the rules, there'll be enough, it could be that they'll be, they'll give them another 12 months grace because there will be a recovery time for mm. 2020-21. And we start FFP effectively with a clean sheet in 2021-22. But again, I haven't got your accountancy brain or legal acumen. That Again, that seems to me that in five years time, there's going to be still going to be people with clever lawyers going, well, hang on a second, there's still a knock-on effect from from two years ago and, and how come that club's been affected and we're not affected. So, again, whatever decision is made, it, there's no decision that can be taken that isn't without a ripple effect, is there? There is, but again, I go go back to the fact that both the uh, the Premier League yeah, and okay. the EFL are members' clubs. Now, you know, if I, I, I used to belong to a running club. You know, I therefore had to abide by the rules of the club. If I didn't like them, I just had to go and stop running with that club. What, what, it's the what? same... What, what, what running rules did you have? No walking. Well, you know, in terms of your conduct, if you if you are on club oh, nights, you know, don't, don't, um, don't read spreadsheets in the shower, that sort of exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah, of course. 
it's the more I think about it, the more I think how unlucky Burnley uh, Berry would be if, if all this was happening this season. Berry would probably still be with us. Uh, potentially, yes. I, I think we could be here talking for to, for two or three hours about domestic football. We haven't got that length of time. So uh, our sympathies, I'm guessing the sympathies of most people listening to this, are not with the clubs in the Champions League. That's not most of our priority. No. Um, although, God forbid, you and I have occasionally would have gone to sleep tonight, at night. Not tonight. We're not sleeping together tonight. It's social distancing, separate rooms tonight. <laughs> You know, occasionally you and I will have dreamt of a, a, a trip to Turkey in the Europa League, you know, but we're not in that club yet. So the impact of the cancellation of Chelsea, I mean, Arsenal fans are probably thinking this is a good deal because they're not going to be disastrously down the swanee like they thought they were. So how will it affect those clubs that are still in the Champions League and Europa League? Well, if these, if the uh, Europa League and Champions League are suspended, um, I think uh, UEFA will pay out on the basis of their progress to date. Um, so therefore, they will lose out an element. But uh, yeah, we, we are now sort of in the, yeah, the last 16, last eight phase of the tournaments. Yes, there is considerable money involved for those clubs. But Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Liverpool, you know, and so on. Uh, yeah, I appreciate Liverpool aren't in it. Um, but those clubs are in a far better position to, to survive. I think clubs in the Europa League, especially from the, the non-Big Five nations, they are more reliant upon UEFA money than, than other clubs and, and therefore they will, be, they will be struggling. But they'll be struggling just as equally because I suspect their domestic leagues are not taking place and they're in the position of every, every EFL club that we've, that we've been discussing um, throughout the course of this pod. So do, do you think then, is your instinct that any domestic football fixture pile up, which seems is one of the, the clearest options that we do continue the league May, June, July, etc. Is that going to impact on UEFA's third competition in the likelihood being that there simply won't be any spare days in the next two seasons to start? I, I think that's that's a, that's a huge issue. Uh, and we've got another bogey, bogeyman in the form of the World Cup 2022, which was already going to disrupt the domestic seasons yes. in Europe for 2021-22 for because it's taking place in the winter. Now, could that be rescheduled? I... I I, well, I think it could be. Yeah, that would be one solution. Or do we end up effectively paying, playing uh, one season over, over two years um, and then we sort of start afresh? Um, I'm fairly aware that there are meetings and there are calls and there are WhatsApp groups between all of the Premier League chief executives and, and, yeah, and, and those messages are pinging through on an hourly basis, um, as more data becomes available, and as they will, they will have been speaking to government. They will have been speaking to mm. their health advisors. Even if we we get a, a pretty quick recovery from this, players who have been self isolating, they're not in a position to play it's, football. It's, yes, yeah, they, yes, they yes, are yes. elite athletes. Yeah. It's not like me or you who can just just rock up to a local park and. and display our silky skills you know, that they they actually have to put a bit of effort in beforehand i can't do that anymore because i've never been part of a running club rule breaker or no rule breaker i take it you're not part of the running club anymore you're implying that you you infracted the rules of the running club and unfortunately i uh, i effectively broke my knee in the dublin marathon three years ago is that against the rules is it that is against the oh, rules okay. um I, I i knackered it after 20 miles and being a bloke i carried on running for, so I, i've had three operations since, oh and it's oh. still not working i'm very sorry to hear that sorry let's move on um so rescheduling the Euros for next year, that is going to have a massive impact on the World Cup season as well. Which is a, Do you remember the old days when tournaments used to go ahead and leagues used to carry on as well? <laughs> yes. I when, we, when we were growing up, you, most clubs didn't supply players to, to England. So if England were playing, you'd still have a league game. So that's got to be a possibility as well. Although, again, the, the major clubs are at a massive disadvantage if... If that's the case, because they're five players down, aren't they? I think uh, yes. Uh, you know, we got the African African Cup of Nations. Will that be impacted? Because yeah. that's now become a winter tournament, yes, taking yes, place yes. in in January twenty one. World Cup qualifiers for twenty two. How how are those going to be squeezed in? Yeah. Um, I think this is indicative of football was very much at the limit in terms of the number of matches that were taking place. 
perhaps it does give clubs and uh, administrators an opportunity to to sit back whilst it's in recovery mode and come up with a football calendar which makes more sense although the fact that we've got UEFA and FIFA effectively at war mm. um, in terms of FIFA wanting an expanded World Club Cup competition because they've seen how much money is made from the Champions League uh, you know, common sense and, and and those institutions when they're when they're squabbling for for rights is is something which has been in short supply historically now we talked about insurance for league games what about the insurance effect if the Euros are, are cancelled? Because we know the FA have invested a lot of money. Again, this is something I learned from you because I assumed that the reason there was games in Kazakhstan was because the UEFA were trying to be nice to the smaller countries. But no, because Kazakhstan could afford to bid for games. So we know the FA have coughed up a lot of money to get games here, as the IF, Irish FA has, the Scottish FA has. Losing that potential income will have an impact on grassroots football. Well, you know, there's the exactly the bottom of the period that we've been talking about but surely they will be insured won't they? the FA national FAs will have had enough money to pay for insurance at that level surely? They, they, they certainly will have insurance policies um, you would expect those to cover major events such as terrorism because that is is clearly a risk uh, today in in the, ma- in the major cities in which these take place whether that will cover uh, an, an incident such as a pandemic it's, it's all down to the small print, and, and I can guarantee you that this weekend the insurance companies and the FA will both be going through clause yeah, 27.6.i to see whether or not uh, they, they can wriggle or be forced to pay out. Because it um, could cripple the insurance companies as well, couldn't it? It will be, it will, well, it will be a major hit. Yeah. Uh, you, know, the, you know, the nature of insurance is that they make, mo- they make money most years and, and they, they, they effectively have to go and pay out once, you know, once, once every few years when, when there is a, a major issue going back to 9-11 for example the yeah. insurance companies survived are there that's a very good point are there specific companies that i've never heard of that that insure sports events or are we talking about your high street insurance companies no we, we that the, the nature of insurance is it is very specialist and therefore there will be specialist insurers but also reinsurers because what will happen is that the insurance companies themselves will take those premiums and they will say well well actually if something does happen you know if there's if there's a major terrorist incident or there's a major is a major issue we can't afford to pay out all of that money and therefore they will have effectively you know, a bit like some of the betting exchanges they yes, will of have course, laid yeah, yeah. off the, the money they've received um with, with other parties as well yeah the, the- I don't mean this to sound flippant in any way, but the terrorism parallel is quite interesting because I know quite a few people who are treating this as though as a potential terrorist threat. It's like, I'm going to carry on with my daily business because otherwise the virus is run. Yeah. And in a way, I kind of, I, I kind of admire that approach to it. I, I think, yeah. I think that's the, that, that is what is best for the economy. Yeah. You, you work on the basis of, A, I'm going to get it at some point, Minimise risk. So exactly the same thing that we do when we fly. We go through security. Yes, we, we accept that there, there are restraints on on the way that we can behave so we do exactly the same and if if it could actually be that there could be some paradoxical benefits if we as a nation start washing our hands after going to the toilets then i don't think there's a, that's a, that's a bad thing because that's going to that's going to reduce the spread of other diseases it, it was slightly distressing to discover that there were people who weren't doing that anyway well i, I subscribe yeah. to have you ever heard of something called pot bitch I didn't realise Popbitch was still going, basically, well, Pop, but Pop yeah, after, is, after is, being mentioned in it, in a, oh. in, not in a particularly bad way, just, yeah. I, I, is it still how refreshingly 90s? And you subscribe to it. That's I, I subscribe to Popbitch. Viz Popbitch? Absolutely. And this week... I have week, been in Viz. Oh, yes. Yeah. You're, you're, I'm, I'm, my hat is doffed. Oh, so you're welcome. Um, if, if you take a look at this week's Popbitch, it actually lists celebrities who wash their hands after going to the toilet, and those who don't, <laughs> including some very prominent politicians. How do they know these things? Uh, well, it's 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 a it's a it's a closet industry. It's a, it's a it's, bit like a bit like the elves on QI. There's people reporting and, and snitching all the time. Yeah, I know some of the elves on QI. They're yeah, quite overweight. Some of those elves on QI, <laughs> like the elves on Only Connect. They're not not as elvish as you might think. <laughs> uh, no offense, elves on QI, but you know some of them are probably not washing their hands after. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's. it's I'm, I'm not entirely sure we've covered ourselves in glory as a country in the last few days. But football, is it resilient enough, do you think, to... I mean, I don't think football, since the war, when, of course, football stopped, well, official football, mm. there, there were war leagues and, and yep. all sorts of regional leagues and football still carried on. Theatres closed for, for 10 days until they realised that was a, 
a mistake morale-wise and theatres we reopened. But I don't think football would ever expect to suffer from anything as long-term as this. Is is it resilient enough to to survive? It, it, it is resilient enough to survive in the short term, provided some cash assistance is given to those clubs who are most vulnerable. The longer this continues without clubs being able to generate cash, the, the more my concerns is that what we have at present in form of the you know, presently 91 clubs, um, that could that could easily um, be, be reduced. Um or we have some sort of quasi, you know, semi-professional football taking place in the lower leagues, mm. um, which would be a shame because I, I think we all do love the the fact that you know, the likes of Wigan can come from uh, from nowhere and get to the Premier League and win the FA Cup, uh, and I think it would make it more difficult um, if if uh, if the professional level of football was reduced. Will there be a way? And I think because we need to end this now, and it'd be nice to end on a positive note if we can. Football fans will want to help their clubs in any way possible. Do you think there will be clubs looking at some kind of temporary crowdfunding thing, looking at fans helping out? Because fans will want to do that, won't they, yeah. if they can. Wealthier fans will want to donate money. Fans with, who, who can donate a fiver will want to donate a fiver because they want to be part of this rescue attempt. In that, the, that's in, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, most football fans are fantastic. You know, it's. I, I think we get we we get waylaid by by the clowns on social media course, and, and people who 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 go along for football for to get drunk and cause a bit of aggro. Um, you've only got to look. Nothing at wrong Cam- with the first bit of that. The second bit, yeah. Which is why I'm going to ride this out more than you because it's, it's not going to nothing. I'm pickled. <laughs> <laughs> you healthy people, you're in trouble. <laughs> um, Berry Football Club when they were in the the football league. They had a buy a seat campaign 15 years ago. I bought a seat. We've seen that Wimbledon have managed to raise over £5 million for the Wimbledon bond. Norwich City have done similar. I I think some form of crowdfunding um, is is feasible. and there could be benefits given to to the fans. You know, you're going to get a free. You know, if, if when when the match matches resume, if you put in over a hundred quid, you get a free shirt next season. Mm. Um, you get a chance to vote on our next away kits colours. You know, that there are there are ways of giving benefits which aren't necessarily costly financially to the club to the fans who are prepared to do things of this. Also, there there are owners who love their clubs and. If some of them have money, I think they they will do the best that they can because it it is a central part of our life. It is the glue which binds us together. I'm glad you said that because to come full circle, you know, I love the theatre. Yeah, I love opera. I love ballet. All right, if I could never see another live ballet again, tough, fine. If I could never go to the theatre again, if I could never see another Shakespeare play again, if I could never go to Eastbourne again to see a play about Boris Johnson, mm-hmm. already. The, the thought of there being no football is astonishing, yep. but not just in the game itself, just missing the everything around it. And so, we, if anything does come out of it, it's the fact that we've learned how much we love our game and how much we need it at every level. Yes, it, it's it, it it brings solace to the lonely. It yeah. brings um, it brings friendship to people who don't have friendship. I, I maintain, you know, we've both been following our clubs for probably fifty years yeah, or yeah. so. Football is a fantastic day out ruined by 90 minutes of activity in the middle. (laughs) But it's that fantastic day out. It's the fact that we've got blokes in their 50s and 60s like us who are talking to people. uh, And we don't talk as, you know, we're not good at communication. Football allows us to do that. Football allows you to hug strangers. When was the last time you hugged a stranger other than a football match? Yesterday morning. Oh, really? Yeah, you don't need to know why, but it's, it's fine. It's, uh, he didn't want to be hugged, but, you know, it's a theatrical situation. Um, also, as well, football and football fans, non-football fans won't understand this, but they won't be listening to it, so it doesn't matter. You can't, it's impossible to explain what how much we love the game. But also, we travel the country. We've got empathy. We see what life is like in recession-hit areas. We know what other towns look like. So we, we're more out of the bubble than other people. We've got... I, I remember going to a wedding recently and being sat at a table where nobody liked football. I literally had nothing to talk about with these people. It's a nightmare. And, he, and I blame them, not me. So I've got all sorts of interests. But they just... Without football, because no, that's the first question. You know, who do you it support? Is. Ten minutes later, you're finding things out about this bloke who tells you he supports Stoke. And he's like, oh, yeah, when I was at Stoke, and then he, he's, he knows the steward. It's, it's, it's brilliant. And it, like I say, if anything, it just shows you how important it is to us 
and how we need to fight to keep it going. That's right. And, and you hear all of these great things taking place. I think Rotherham were playing an away match a couple of weeks ago and they went en route. They stopped in Bury to support the publicans in Bury who have, have, have lost out in business themselves. Four, four coaches turned up. Well, what a fantastic idea. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're, I, I think what we're seeing at present is an opportunity to prove that we, at all parts of football, fans, administrators, owners, players, and so on, actually, nearly all of us are good people. Yeah. Here, here. Um, we do have other podcasts that we have recorded, so they'll be out in the next few days, um, including a very, very open, refreshing, and frank interview with Neil Doncaster, who's the supremo of Scottish football, um, which we recorded before all this took place. So... Um, so our schedules is sort of all over. We will be recording other pods. We will keep returning on a Monday and Thursday. Yep. And I suspect we will find things to say. And hopefully before long, we'll be finding things to say about football issues rather than coronavirus issues. But until then, we are Adapted Production. If you do have questions for us, it's questions at priceoffootball.com. And we'll see you shortly. The price of football. Goodbye, folks. Wash your hands. <laughs> At William & Mary, we believe today's business education needs to be more than just innovative. It requires a legacy of success, a focus on teaching, an emphasis on technology, and a practical hands-on approach. At William & Mary's Raymond A. Mason School of Business, our online, part-time, and traditional full-time graduate programs apply these strengths to provide the experience necessary to help you succeed. Visit us at chatadmissions.com to learn more.